This is Macro Horizons, episode 189, Seeing Dots, presented by BMO Capital Markets. I'm your host, Ian Lingen, here with Ben Jeffrey to bring you our thoughts from the trading desk for the upcoming week of September 19th. And as next week marks the official start of the fall, both the season and for the economy, we look forward to pumpkin spice, autumn leaves, and the triumphant return of Jack Skellington. Each week, we offer an updated view on the U.S. rates market and a bad joke or two. But more importantly, the show is centered on responding directly to questions submitted by listeners and clients. We also end each show with our musings on the week ahead. Please feel free to reach out on Bloomberg or email me at ian.lyngen at bmo.com with questions for future episodes. We value your input and hope to keep the show as interactive as possible. So that being said, let's get started. In the week just past, the U.S. rates market saw a remarkably choppy week. We came into the week anticipating a relatively benign inflation series would lock in a 75 basis point rate hike for the Fed. Instead, what we saw was a much stronger than anticipated core print of six-tenths of a percent month over month for August. This brought up the prospects for a 100 basis point rate hike when the Fed meets on September 21st. Now, currently, 75 basis points is completely priced in, and there's a 25% probability that the Fed goes 100 basis points as indicated by Fed Funds Futures. Our take is that 75 basis points is as aggressive as the Fed wants to be at any given meeting. However, we had previously anticipated that the Fed would slow to a 50 basis point cadence in November. The stronger than expected core number makes a good case for another 75 basis points to follow in November. And as a result, we think the downshift doesn't come until the December meeting, and we have increased our expectations for terminal to the range of 425 to 450. When we add in the impact of the balance sheet rundown process, that gets us to a terminal rate for this cycle of 525, assuming, of course, the balance sheet process is worth 75 basis points. The week just passed also included a mixed takedown of the key auctions. The three-year tailed 1.4 basis points. The 10-year tailed 2.8 basis points. This occurred on Monday, September the 12th, low liquidity with holiday absences overseas. Tuesday's post-CPI 30-year auction, however, performed remarkably well stopping through 1.7 basis points and illustrating strong demand for duration, at these levels at least. In terms of other economic data of relevance, the retail sales numbers for the month of August came in. The headline was stronger than expected. However, the control group came in notably below expectations with downward revisions to July. 
This combined with the disappointing IP and CAPU figures has driven down the Q3 GDP tracking numbers to just a 0.5% increase in real growth during the third quarter. With that backdrop, it isn't difficult to envision another quarter with negative real GDP. That would make the third consecutive such development. Fed still wouldn't call that a recession per se, but it does begin to undermine the official narrative that the economy is on strong enough footing to absorb a more aggressive policy stance in which the Fed holds terminal for a longer period this time than it has in prior tightening cycles. It's with this backdrop that we have increased our year-end target for 10-year yields. We were at 250. We're now moving it up to a range of 275 to 295. The logic there is pretty straightforward. The higher-than-expected core number will lead to a higher terminal rate from the Fed, and while ultimately flight to quality and an inverted yield curve will define the fourth quarter, we don't see sufficient momentum to get us to 250. We are holding our 250 call for 2023, but expect that it will require a more significant shift in messaging from the Fed, as well as evidence that the global hiking cycle is beginning to take a toll on the real economy. So looking ahead at the calendar, nothing of note should be fairly quiet week. Really might be a good time to take vacation. It would be a great time to take vacation from this market because the FOMC meeting on Wednesday is poised to deliver yet another 75 basis point rate hike, bringing the policy rate well into restrictive territory. And along with what is almost certainly going to be 75 basis points, despite the market's pricing of a tail risk of 100, we're also going to get the first revision to the summary of economic projections since the June meeting. And specifically, the area to focus on is going to be the dot plot and where it is the Fed ultimately sees policy rates reaching this cycle now that we have another several rounds of CPI data and more specifically, August's inflation print that was substantially higher than expected. Up six-tenths of a percent on the core figure definitely runs counter to the hopes that July's data marked the start of a trend lower in inflation and gives Powell some cover to come off as even more hawkish on Wednesday. I do think that one of the key takeaways from the higher-than-expected core CPI figure was precisely what you point out, Ben. The moderation that we had been anticipating as a market has yet to come to fruition. Now, we still see a high probability that core inflation starts to come back in line with the Fed's objectives, at least directionally, by the end of the year, if for no other reason than the year-over-year -year base effects that will hit OER. But what we have seen isn't a game-changing print, but what we're characterizing as a game-extending print on the inflation side. We know what the Fed's reaction function is to higher-than-expected realized inflation data, and that's to deliver supersized hikes and more of them. And so for that reason, we are content to see two-year yields sell off. We expect that the terminal rate for this cycle will be a range of 425 to 450. That encompasses a 75 basis point rate hike on Wednesday, 
another 75 basis point rate hike in November, and then a downshift to 50 in September and a pause, or 25 in September and February. At the end of the day, the Fed has made it clear that they're willing to trade a recession for longer-term price stability. What's less certain is how quickly that recession materializes and how deep the contraction ultimately ends up being. And in having exactly this debate with clients this week, one of the most frequently asked questions we heard was, yes, we know the Fed is going to continue to move aggressively in order to combat inflation. That much is a given. However, we've already seen an uptick in the unemployment rate and wage growth beginning to slow. So what if by the early part of next year, we've seen the unemployment rate continue to rise north of 4%, maybe closing in on 5%, but yet core inflation fails to moderate and is still holding closer to 5% than 4%. Is inflation at that level still too high for the Fed to be worried about an elevated unemployment rate? And how would they respond? Would they keep hiking policy rates beyond 4.5%? What Powell has signaled thus far is the Fed is urgently pushing policy rates to terminal for this cycle, and the expectation will be that once terminal has been achieved, even if the year-over-year -year inflation numbers haven't begun to moderate as quickly as the Fed would like to see, the most likely expression of additional hawkishness next year will come in the form of the Fed forward committing to keeping policy rates at terminal longer this cycle than it has in prior cycles. That, combined with the balance sheet runoff, will effectively continue to weigh on the real economy, destroy demand, and ultimately get inflation back to the Fed's long-term target of 2%. But still, looking at the Fed Fund's futures market, we do have some probability from rate cuts priced in next year. Now, after CPI, those cuts are coming from a higher terminal assumption, but still the market has terminal priced right around 450 early in the second quarter of 2023, with rates then seen coming lower into the beginning of 2024. Based off the data and everything we've heard from the Fed, this seems to assume a reaction function similar to the last cycle, in that a sharp drop in risk assets or continually tightening financial conditions will lead the Fed to pivot sooner away from removing accommodation and deliver what might be some sort of fine-tuning rate cut campaign. But we'll caution against extrapolating that logic onto the current cycle, simply given how high inflation is and will still be next year. Another aspect of the Fed's stable policy in 2023 call does have to do with the effectiveness of the balance sheet runoff. As it stands, current estimates are assuming that the Fed can keep the runoff in place into 2024, that'll be worth roughly 75 basis points of hikes. So that means that in balance sheet adjusted terms, Fed funds will be at 525, and that's very tight by anyone's standards. Nonetheless, it's the lagged impact of monetary policy that is ultimately going to define 2023. Once the Fed delivers the next rate hike on Wednesday, monetary policy will unquestionably be in restrictive territory. And it's at that point that the countdown of six to nine months before we see the fallout for the real economy kicks in. And Ian, I'm happy you touched on that six to nine month figure because remember, six months ago, the Fed was still actively engaged in the process of QE. They were still buying bonds and rates were only just preparing to come off the effective lower bound via the first 25 basis point hike. 
So we're already beginning to discuss the severity of the coming global slowdown, the pain in the labor market, what that means for inflation, before we've seen effectively any of the fallout from the Fed's tightening on the performance of the real economy. So the timing of the 50 and 75 basis point rate hikes that we've seen coming down to hit the demand side in a world when supply chain issues are continuing to moderate does bode well for the Fed's endeavors to bring inflation lower and to further flatten the curve. The one caveat that I would offer in this regard is the mortgage market. We have seen mortgage rates increase rather dramatically, most recently crossing the 6% threshold, which has intuitively put a great deal of pressure on the housing market. We've seen sales start to slow, and while prices haven't begun to moderate in any meaningful way, affordability has led to potential home buyers shifting into the rental market. So one could argue that this is the direct result of monetary policy and one of the aspects that hasn't been lagged per se. Framing this in the backdrop of a delayed impact on the real economy, the fact that prices haven't begun to adjust yet means that the underlying wealth effect created by the run-up in home prices still remains relevant. It's once home prices appear to have peaked and begin the process of moderating somewhat that we would expect consumer behavior to shift more tangibly. And on the topic of dropping consumption, we did get a disappointing read on the control group within August's retail sales figures this week, and that ultimately led to a fairly significant downward revision to GDP now from 1.3% to just 0.5% for the third quarter, which then introduces the risk of yet another negative quarter of real GDP in Q3, given the fact that consumption is not keeping pace with inflation. And as we saw in Q1 and Q2, despite reasonable nominal growth, the level of inflation is more than eroding those gains. So while the Fed and the White House have said the first half wasn't a recession, the labor market is simply too tight, what about three quarters of negative growth? Does that qualify as a recession? Three quarters of negative GDP growth combined with an increasing unemployment rate certainly does complicate matters for the Fed. That said, there's no question they're going to continue down the hawkish path that has been set, at least into year end. What strikes us is the increasing probability of a truly stagflationary environment. The core CPI numbers certainly did function as a reminder that it is difficult for monetary policymakers to appropriately gauge the direction and pace of inflation at any given point in the cycle. And when we put it in the context of the misery index, which is the combination of the unemployment rate and CPI, this raises the prospect that 2023 could be the year of the misery. And one of the most telling market reactions to all of this that we've been discussing has been in the tips market. We've seen 10-year real yields move to their cycle high north of 100 basis points, and along with the sell-off and outright tips, 10-year break-evens have continued to compress, falling within striking distance of 240 basis points, and an encouraging development from Powell's perspective in that higher inflation-adjusted borrowing costs are having their desired consequence in containing inflation expectations. Remember, along with the realized data, the other pillar of the Fed's new inflation framework is that there is the expectation that consumer prices will remain contained as well. So higher real yields and cheaper tips, along with compressing break-evens, is a positive from the perspective of the FOMC, even if risk assets clearly don't view it that way. 
On the topic of risk assets, this definitely falls into a category of the next proverbial shoe to drop. And when we think about the balance of 2022, it goes without saying that the market will be very closely monitoring equity performance as well as credit spreads. And it is worth noting that we have started to see some strains in the FX space. Obviously, parity between the dollar and the euro was a milestone, but given the weakness in the yen, focus has shifted toward the Bank of Japan and the potential for the BOJ to allow 10-year yields to drift higher beyond the 25 basis point implied cap at the moment. That would obviously have direct implications for JGBs. However, we are reminded that being short JGBs against the BOJ is appropriately called the widowmaker trade. And on the topic of foreign central banking, we did get another troubling indication this week, this time from the president of the World Bank, acknowledging that the hawkishness on display from a variety of developed market central banks is introducing serious risk to the developing world and less advanced economies. Obviously, the ECB, BOE, BOC, and Fed all aggressively raising rates holds implications for their respective domestic economies, yes, but also parts of the world that in economic terms are not as well suited to withstand higher borrowing costs along with the dollar at effectively a record high. All of this combines to make the risk of some emerging market shock and all that means for contagion potential and the overall flight to quality either outright bid or at least to dip buying backstop in treasuries. But aside from that, we are very optimistic. In the week ahead, the Treasury market will have one focal point, and that will be Wednesday afternoon's FOMC rate decision and the press conference that follows. There's an active debate at the moment of whether or not the Fed will increase by 100 basis points or 75 basis points on Wednesday. Our expectations are for a 75 basis point hike, but the Fed will leave open the possibility for another jumbo hike when the Fed meets again in November. Almost as importantly as the magnitude of the rate hike will be how the Fed changes the dot plot and the SEP projections. As it currently stands, the June SEP had the Fed funds rate peaking at 3.8%. We're anticipating that that will be revised higher to a range of 425 to 450. The point estimate will probably be 4.4. Now this outlook is very consistent with what's currently priced in the Fed Funds futures market and more importantly, it will reflect the Fed's confirmation that the market has a good understanding of their reaction function to higher than expected realized data. Now this is an important nuance and one of the things that we expect will lead to outperformance of 10s and 30s once we have all the information from the Fed at hand. The logic here is that 2022 has been a year of great uncertainty in terms of not only the economic data, but how policymakers would respond. And what we have seen is we have seen a more aggressive Fed response than we certainly were anticipating at the beginning of the year. But this was due in part to the fact that inflation 
didn't moderate as quickly as anticipated. Recall that the geopolitical tensions put significant upward pressure on the energy complex, and that flowed through to headline inflation. On the core side, it's been the OER series, rents, and housing more broadly, that has continued to put upward pressure on core prices. Embedded within OER, of course, are natural gas and utility costs, and that has offered a glance at the flow-through from the geopolitical concerns into the household level in the U.S. Then the process of translating that to a presumed Fed response has become much easier as the year has transpired. And what we're looking for on Friday from the Fed is confirmation that the market does understand the operating procedure at the FOMC well enough to effectively price in the Fed's thinking to upside surprises on the inflation front. A hawkish 75 hike will also be a credibility-enhancing event, at least on the margin for the Fed, if it is accompanied by messaging that there's another 75 basis point move in the offing for November. In such an eventuality, we would anticipate that break-evens will continue to compress, that will put downward pressure on nominal yields and increase real yields. And as real yields continue to increase, for context, 10-year tips yields are now at 1% and heading higher. We'd expect the fallout on other financial markets to become increasingly pronounced, and we'll be watching the performance of the equity market in particular as a reflection of the sentiment regarding the prospects for a much more significant recession in 2023 or beyond. We've reached the point in this week's episode where we'd like to offer our sincere thanks and condolences to anyone who has managed to make it this far. And with last year's failure of the Sunshine Protection Act of 2021, we'll once again be looking forward to an extra hour of sleep this fall, as well as a handy excuse for running late in the spring, the gift that keeps on giving. Thanks again, 1918. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy effort as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. So please email me directly with any feedback at ian.lingen at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been produced and edited by Puddle Creative. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.